Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There we go. We've been talking, and I believe this is the final part of this series. We've been talking at the beginning of this year about seasons. There are seasons in life. We're now in, in the last half of, the, of, hopefully, of this winter season. And today is a beautiful spring-like day, but we're not in spring yet. So although it is, helps us to anticipate the next season that's coming, we know that it's not yet here. And the thing about seasons is, in New England, is we have four of them. And when you're in the, in the middle of one of them, you know there's another one coming. So we can be, look forward and prepare for the one that is coming. So when you're in fall and you know winter's coming, you can begin to stock up on whatever it is you're going to need, salt for your driveway or whatever it is. I make sure that my, uh, my, my snowblower's working and I... Uh, thank you, dear. Yeah, I must have left them at home. Thank you. These should work somehow. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> that helps. And um, so there's seasons to life. And, and, it's, and we need, to, the key is to learn how to flow with the season and appreciate the season that you're in. In the same way, there's seasons in our lives. And my wife and I are at a different season than we were than when we met each other, fell in love, and got married. We're in a season that's... Now, my description of the season changes a little bit the further I get into it. Um, but, but, but it's learning to recognize the season we're in. I'm not physically able to do some of the things that I did when I was 20 years old. Nor do I want to do some of the things I did when I was 20 years old. Or even go through some of the things because I've gained some experience. But the important thing is, is to recognize the season that you're in learn to appreciate it, and then how do you transition into another season? And so this verse tells us, not only that, but there's seasons in a church, seasons in the church itself. Uh, on Wednesday night, uh, Pastor John Angelina did a tremendous job talking about, teaching us about the history, the Reformation, and, and the foundations of our faith. He took a history lesson and made it alive, brought it alive to where we live. And so uh, but, but he's talking about understanding that the church was in a different... He talked about a change in seasons. He didn't mean use that word, but that's what he was talking about. So the church itself is in changes of seasons. But individual churches go through changes of seasons. We had a season when Pastor Sam and Donna came up here from Texas in, 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 in 38 years ago and founded this church. Not here, but founded this church. And then we've gone through his season came to a time of end. Then Pastor David came in. It was his season. And then nine years ago, we stepped into this role, and it's a different season. And I remember Lafayette Scales sharing with me when that happened. He said, John, he said, you got to understand, God has put in your DNA what this church needs now. You're not Pastor Sam. Don't try to be Pastor Sam. So you be who you are for the season that is in this church. So I settled into that and stopped trying to compare myself because nobody could be Pastor Sam. Those of you who knew him, there was the mold was broken, and you didn't want two of them. <laughs> but he was a tremendous blessing. This church could not have been founded unless they came here, and I remember, remind myself of that regularly. But the point is recognizing the season. And now this verse tells us that to everything, life, churches, my body, there is a season and a time, a period of time, for every purpose that's under heaven. So every purpose of God has a season, a time for it. Now, I don't think they put it up there. They have it to put up there. But the next verse is what we're going to get into. I didn't tell them this. 
But this next verse says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. So what we're going to talk about tonight, today, is the final season. We've talked about how do you, why we resist, because season, moving from one season to another, involves change, transitions. You're going to hear that word probably a, a lot this year. Transitions and change, and in order to, do, we don't like that. We just like to do the same thing the way we do it, most of us. Now, some people are revolutionaries, and they just, you know, but most of us like to do things the same way at the same time, and when we start changing things, we get uneasy. Human beings get uneasy. Why? Because one reason is we're lazy. We just don't want to, because this change involves work. It involves thinking. It involves planning. Whereas if I just do the same thing every day, I don't have to think and I don't have to plan. But the main reason I think we resist change is the uncertainty of it. What is it going to mean? What's it going to look like? How's it going to feel to me? How's it going to impact me? How's it going to impact my family? How's it going to impact my comfort zone? All these questions roll, roll, roll around in our mind and create an, an uncertainty. And then we talked about how God will lead you through a change of seasons if we will allow him. And we looked at Jesus with the disciples when he was preparing them for the most drastic change that they were going to go through up to that point because he was leaving them. And he told them, first of all, he said, don't be anxious about this. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So this is not the end of everything. What's gonna, what this is going to signal is, uh, is something better for you, not something worse. Then he told them to put your trust in the one that's leading you through the change. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said, I'll be with you in this change. I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you a comforter who's going to help you come through the change. So all the changes we go through, that's what we're looking for. How is God leading us? I'm not one of these visionaries that has a 10-year plan, a 5-year plan. I've got about a 4 o'clock this afternoon plan because that's when we're going to get on an airplane and go out to Tulsa for a minister's meeting. And so that's what I know next after we go through these two services. But it's not that I don't plan anything. But I mean, I'm not a visionary in that sense. But what I've learned to is follow where God's going. And I find that that works much better. Since where's God going? What's God doing here? Step back and pray and try to discern and then get involved with what God's doing and flow along with Him. And that involves Him leading us through changes of seasons and changes of seasons in our life. And so that's what we've been talking about. So I want to look to you. Let's go to Isaiah 55. This is kind of a foundation for what we're going to look at. Because that verse 2 says there's a time to be born and a time to die. And we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to think about that. But as we begin to look at this subject, we're going to look at Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. This is God speaking through Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. That's an astounding thing. That's an important thing to realize. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Now, that doesn't mean you can't learn to think his thoughts. That's what Romans 12.2 talks about when it says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Renewing your mind, and I've done a whole series on that a number of times, renewing your mind is nothing more than learning to think God's thoughts about a situation. See things God's way about a situation. And that's what we're going to do this morning. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. So in the next verse, God's going to show you what the comparison is. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts better than your thoughts. Now, sometimes religion takes and turns things backwards. So we think, well, because God's ways are higher than our ways, we can't understand them. Therefore, whatever happens in my life must be God's will. And, and I, I can't understand why my wife was taken away from me. Not, this didn't happen to me. This is an example. Why my, my wife was taken away from me at 35 years of age and left me with four kids. I don't understand why God did that to me. But his ways are higher than mine. That's not higher. Only in religion is that higher. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Higher means better, more noble, more, 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 more beneficial. Not, not, but we turn it around to explain what happened instead of looking at who God is and experience why, why didn't it measure up? I don't know, but I know God's higher than ours. He's better than ours. He's more loving. He's more generous. He's more gracious. He's more patient. He's tender. He's kind. He's long-suffering. All the things that are listed in 1 Corinthians 13 that describes what love is, that's who he is, so that's what he's like. So when we say his ways are, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that means they're better towards you. Jeremiah says, I know the thoughts I have towards you. To bring harm into your life, to teach you something. No, that's not what it says. I know the thoughts that I have for you. They're thoughts of good and a blessing and an expected end. God has good thoughts towards you. The religious brain goes tilt when it hears that. But that's what the Word of God says. So, my, so that means as we're going to look at this subject of the final season, we're going to look at it through God's eyes of how God sees it. Psalm 119 says nothing about this. It's Psalm 116. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious... Listen to this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Because the final season is the season when we leave this life and step into the next one. The final change, the final transition is when I leave this life here and step into the next one. We've had a number in the last year or so, in the last couple of years, a number of people that I'm close to that have made this transition. And it's difficult. It's difficult when it's a family member. It's difficult when it's a close friend. But the view we have to have of it is God's view. Yes, there's a sense of personal loss, but that person's not experiencing that loss. They're experiencing what we're going to look at today. So we're looking at it this because we want to be prepared for this. We want to be prepared for this. And this is going to lead into the next series that I'm going to do, which is entitled, Are You Ready? Oh, that went over big. <laughs> that tells me how many of us are ready. All right, this is good stuff. Say, I love. I love. That was pretty weak. I love, I love. Pastor John. Okay, good. Now I feel better now. All right. Okay. So we have to learn. God's thoughts are when God looks at a situation, and there are a number of you in this room this morning that have have, have had dear loved ones that, that, that have gone through difficult times and, and instead of being healed, they ended up passing on. And we look at that as defeat and as failure. 
And maybe what we wanted to happen didn't happen. But God's perspective on this is not the same as our perspective. Because God's looking at it from the other side and of the veil, and we're looking at it from this side. And because we can't see that other side other than by faith, we see it as stepping into something I don't know what happens, and therefore I've lost them. God's looking at it from the other side, and what we're going to see is He can't wait for that to happen. That went over big too. <laughs> now, He wants you to finish out your course because He has things for you to do here, but He's looking forward to the moment when there's no veil separating Him from you. And there's no veil separating you from Him. So bear with me, because we're going to look at this through God's ways, God's eyes. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. My ways are not your ways. So when I look at this final transition, this final phase, this final season, I look at it, God says, differently than you look at it. But He tells us in the Word how to look at it. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now to do this, we have to understand something. Because when the Bible talks about death... There's two types of death that the Bible talks about. I, as, as I've thought about this and shared a little bit of this with some of the staff people and some other people, uh, I was thinking of this also, but some others remember it. Years ago when Bob Gass, some of you remember who he was, who he is, when he was here, he pastored a, a church during a revival in Maine for about 45, 50 years ago. And... Um, uh, uh, one of the older ladies in the church, actually was a visiting minister, I think, came to him and she said, you know, one of the things pastors don't do nowadays is they don't teach their people how to die. They don't teach their people how to die. That's not my intention this morning. My intention, though, is to give us God's perspective on this because I have shocking revelation for you. It's going to come. It's appointed to every man wants to die. Okay, and there's more to that, but we'll talk about that later. So, the Bible talks about two types of death. There's a physical death. Remember we started, at the end of last year, we talked about spirit, soul, and body? That you are a spirit. That's the essence of who you are. You have a soul, your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then there live in the body, which is the part of us we consider me. So when I say, well, I was, here, I was here Sunday, most of the time we're talking about my body was here. But this morning, some of your bodies are here, <laughs> but the rest of you somewhere else. <clears throat> and here's the, here's, the, here's the first thing you need to see. You're not your body. You're not your body. Your body, we're going to see, is a temporary dwelling for you. The real you is your soul and your spirit. And I've begun to talk to myself that way in the morning. When I begin my devotion time, I talk to the Lord and says, I'm bringing to you my body, but that's just my temporary house. There's coming a day when I'm laying this down. But the real me is this person on the inside. And when I lay this body down, this real me is going to be immediately in your presence. And that's the truth. And that's how we have to learn to think. So physical death is when this body stops functioning. And the way this body stops functioning isn't because your heart stops beating. It isn't because your lungs stop breathing. 
Your heart stops beating and your lungs stop breathing because your spirit leaves your body. In several places, talking about Jesus' death, it says, and he released his spirit. He released his spirit. It's your spirit man that gives physical life to your body. Then there's another type of death, which is spiritual death. And spiritual death, whereas when you, your body stops living, it ceases to exist. I mean, it just stops. But your spirit and your soul, that spiritual death doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. Because your spirit being is an eternal being. And your soul is an eternal being in the sense of it, it, was, it was birthed by God and they will live forever. So eternal life is not living forever. Eternal life is where you live forever. So your spirit and your soul cannot die. But what is critical is where they go when they leave your body. So spiritual death is nothing more than separation from God. And in Revelation, it calls it the second death. And look at it this way. God is life. He is the source of life. How did Adam... Adam's body, John talked about this, Pastor John talked this Wednesday night. God took that first man and formed his physical body out of the dust of this earth, material substance of this earth. But it wasn't alive. And then God breathed into that man and the woman was in him, that breath of life. And he became a living being, it says. So life, human life, spiritual life, came out of life himself, God. God is the source of life. And it's life at a different level than you and I are used to thinking about. That's part of what we're going to talk about. And so to be separated from life is death. It's like to be separated from light is darkness. Darkness is not a thing in and of itself. Darkness is the absence of light. So in our kitchen, we don't have a light switch and a dark switch. So when I go to bed, I go in and turn the dark switch on so the darkness comes in. No, all you got to do is turn the light switch off and darkness comes in. And so the same is true of life. You separate you, this eternal being, from life and that's death. That life of God is so powerful that on several occasions, Moses was in the presence, face to face, of life himself, and that life sustained him in both of those cases for 40 days and 40 nights, and he neither ate food nor drank water or anything. Now, your physical body can live without food for 40 days, but you can't live without water for more than three days or four days. Not 40 days. So his living, his living was supernatural, not because God did some miracle, he was in the presence of life himself. Now I take the time to go over that, because as we talk about that, you've got to understand the difference, because we're going to talk about the death of your body, but that's not the death of you. 
That's not the death of you. See, we fear it because we think, well, that's the end of everything. No, it's the beginning. Because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. All right, to do this, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Pastor Ray read this at John's service on Friday. And I could go earlier in this because he talks about, um, he talks about um, that, that we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. And he talks, about, he talks about all the things that he went through physically in serving the Lord and the, the beatings he took and the things that he went through physically. And he talks about, uh, 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 he said, but you know, it, it's a momentary light affliction. Because he said, although the outward man's perishing, getting older, the inner man's getting renewed day by day. So he draws this distinction between his body, the outer man, and this inner man, the real him on the inside. And now we go over to here. <clears throat> And he's talking about this perspective that he has. For we know. Notice Paul says, I ho doesn't say I hope. Doesn't say I, I, I'm hoping for. One of the prayers I pray many one Sunday nights here is out of Ephesians 4. It says that the, that the eyes of your understanding, that's what we're praying this morning, will be enlightened so that you might see what is the hope of your calling. Hope is not today. Hope is the future. What is the hope of your calling? For we know that if our... We know... We know, not we hope so, not, oh, when this life's over, I hope something's better. No, we know. This is what drove him. This is why he could go through the things he went through victoriously and overcoming and joyfully. This is why he could sit at midnight in a Philippian jail with Silas and sing praises unto God. They didn't do that knowing they were going to be delivered. They did that because that's what came out of them in that terrible, difficult time. Why? Because no matter what happened to him, he knows this. And when you know this, it changes your perspective on your life. I heard years ago, it was actually we were in Bible school, I heard someone say this, and when I looked at my own life, I couldn't say this. He said, you're not really prepared to live until you're prepared to die. Because you'll live all of your life trying to avoid death. So you're not doing what you're here to do with all your heart. I'm at, oh, I never saw this before. Ooh, this is good. When I was in high school, we had to take a sport, and the sport I took in spring was track. And I had, a, I, had an I had an assigned role on that team. Somebody has to come in last. That was my position. Somebody's got to come in last, so I did it proudly. But I learned one thing. And I didn't run short distances. I ran cross country, which, because it was, it was either that was a fall. It was either that or football. And, mm. <laughs> and I learned something. If you're running a, a short race, like a dash, a 100-yard dash, what they teach you is when you go to, you, you, that you're to fix your eyes on a point that's past the finish line. Because imagine this. This is what I never saw before. Imagine if that sprinter was afraid of crossing this finish line. Oh, I've never taught this before. You get, this is good stuff. Imagine, because what they teach you is to, is to go as fast as you can at the end, stretch forward, because you're reaching a point that's beyond the finish line. 
a number of years ago, I saw a video of, of, of a of sprinter making a critical mistake because I think it was a woman. As she was getting near the finish, she was ahead. As she got near the finish line, she turned to see where her opponent was. And when she turned here, this opponent passed her. She was just looking around. She was just looking out of her lane at where somebody else was. We get in a lot of trouble doing that. But imagine if you were a sprinter or a runner and you were afraid on what was on the other side of that finish line. So you'd run. That's about as fast as I ran. You'd run and, you'd get to, and as you're getting closer, you'd start slowing down. Isn't this what we do? Because you don't want to cross that line. You start slowing down. And, and when you start slowing down, bad things start happening to you. That's what they teach in football games. You'll see, you know, just because you're ahead doesn't mean you relax. There are some fans in Atlanta that might be able to relate to that. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> um, You talk about a, a pertinent example. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, I could feel the emotion in that one. You're with me now. <laughs> but the same's true of life. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're a teenager. We're a young person, teenager. We got a f- six-year-old granddaughter. I mean, she's boundless energy. I'll pick her up from school. I mean, she's been in school all day. Recess, gym, and she's bouncing around, you know, and some of you in the office know who she's like. She's back. Oh, she's, she's like, where do you get that from? <laughs> and I know she's not as big as I am and has not been around as long, but still, it's like there's boundless energy. And then as they become, you know, in, in their teens, it begins to get more focused, you know. But you get to be 20 years old. I remember life's in front of you. You're invincible. Mine, you're just running this race. Oh, boy, I'm going to sprint this thing all the way to the end. Wow, I got vision for the future. Man, this isn't a 100-yard day. I'm going to run the 220. Now the 440. I'll do the mile. I can do all this. And as you get a little older... There's a thing called middle age, which is halfway to the finish line, and you start looking at the finish line, you start looking backwards and say, this looks closer than that did. <laughs> so you start slowing down a little bit. See, uh, listen carefully. A lot, of we, a lot of what we experience as old age, we do to ourselves. As a man thinketh, so is he. I was on the phone with somebody the other day as a lawyer that we deal with from time to time and I've never met him. We just talked for years back and forth. And he was asking me about what I, because he knows what I went through last year. And he's starting to go through something similar. And I said, well, yeah, about, my, about our age. He said, well, how old are you? So I told him, he said, I thought you were 40. I said, really? He says, yeah, you just sound like you're young. You sound like you're 40. See, because I'm not looking at that. I changed my way of thinking a while ago. I don't look at, you know, oh my goodness, I got aches here and I got, you know, if you think about that, if you start expecting something to happen, you're using your faith for it to happen. Now the reality is I can't do now what I did at 20. But I can do more than if I start having an image of what it's going to be like, then you start living up to that image. And so we go along like that. But here's the point. It's because we're afraid of crossing that line. 
Paul wasn't afraid. Paul, we're going to see, he ran with all his, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but all that have loved the coming of the Lord. Paul finished his course full blast. And that's why God wants you and me to finish ours. With life, energy, whatever your situation is, to the fullest that you can. You may be watching this on television. You may be bound to a wheelchair in a nursing home somewhere, but there's life in you. There's life in you. Don't just sit there waiting to go on. Take every moment and say, God, how can you use me sitting in this chair? I've known people that were in terribly situations physically, but God was using them in nursing homes where they were. God was using them in the hospital because they were not looking at their life at the way we tend to, the world tells you to look at your life. For we know, that was in the word no, I guess, that if our earthly house, this tent, he's talking about our body. In here and over in Rome, in Ephesians, so on, John, in Hebrews 12, 11, it refers to tents. And it dawned on me one time what a tent is. Because a tent is a temporary place to sleep. When you live, and there are people, there are nomads that live in tents in other parts of the world. But they do that because they're moving from one place to another. So a tent is a temporary dwelling. It has no foundation. That's why Hebrews says the people of faith like Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, and the Moses, they were looking for a city that has a foundation whose builder and maker is God. That's the one we're talking about. Because while they were here, it says they dwelt in tents. You and I are nomads. We're dwelling in tents. The real you is living in a tent. And what Paul means by that, it's a temporary residence. And, and tents are not a solid thing to live in. I remember when I was a Boy Scout, we had a troop, our troop went over to, out to some land we had for a, for a and I was a, I was, I was a tender, I was brand new at camping. And uh, <laughs> they, they did a little trick on me because it was going to rain that night and they all came into my tent and they rubbed up against the back of the tent with their back. Some of you know what that does. It makes it leak when it rains. So I discovered that night how temporary a tent can be in a storm. And under storms of life sometimes this tent leaks. It gives way. It doesn't perform well. But your hope is not based on this tent. That didn't destroy me because I knew at the end of that weekend I was going back to a house that had a foundation and solid walls and a roof that didn't leak. And I suggest to you that your hope is that someday you're going to a house that has a foundation that's been built by God that has walls that are solid and has a roof that will protect you. For we know that if this earthly house's tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house. The contrast is between the tent, which is your body, and a house, which is a permanent dwelling. Not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. Verse 2. For in this, in this tent, in this body, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is heaven, from heaven. For indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, you're not going to get caught in between. 
You're not going to be floating out there with some ethereal spirits like Casper, the friendly ghost, you know. There's no, you're not floating out there somewhere. To leave this body, we're going to see is to be present with the Lord. So if I'm in clothed, I'm not going to be found naked without clothing on, without a, a dwelling place for me, the real me. This is what I want you to see. And it's not because we want to be unclothed. In other words, Paul, this is kind of a symbolism here. He's using clothing now instead of a tent as an example of the covering. For, for, for we, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. So what he's saying is not because I want to get rid of this body, but because there's a better one waiting for me. Remember, transition and change, what helps you through it is seeing what it's going to get you by going through it. And this is what Paul's talking about here. He said, I'm excited, I'm looking forward to stepping out of this body because I know there's a better body that's coming to be further clothed, better clothed. Look at this, that mortality. This is what kind of exploded at me this morning. That mortality, what's mortality? Mortality means you're subject to being injured, subject to getting sick, subject to bad things happening to you, subject to getting old, subject to getting weak, subject to getting injured. That's what your body is. It's mortal, which means it can die. It can get hurt. It can get sick. That this mortality, this temporary life, may be swallowed up. Oh, that word is so rich. Swallowed up. Ooh. You ever see those cartoons where, where you have this little fish going along? Or does this date me? Some bigger fish comes behind him and swallows him. And then some bigger fish comes behind him and swallows him. Right. They didn't change places. To swallow, oh. To swallow up means something bigger has engulfed it and taken it into itself. So the life you know now this mortality, this mortal life may be swallowed up. Notice that, that mortality. Notice he doesn't call it life. That this mortality, this weakness that we think is it, that we want to hold on to so desperately, God says, that's just mortality. That's weakness. That's fr- being fragile. It may be swallowed up by life. Pastor Ray preached this the other day at a, at, a, at a funeral. Real life. John Oliver today is living real life. You and I are living a watered down version of it. Now, you can because that life is in you. But we spend so much of our time, we talked about this when we talked about walking in the Spirit, so much of our time focused on this mortal life and not on the eternal life that is within us. That this mortality, this weakness, this temperament may be swallowed up by real life. And that word life is zoe, which is life at the level God lives it. Next verse. Now he who prepared us for this very thing is God. That's why it's not a failure. That's why God says that that he takes pleasure in this. That God prepared us for this season. In fact, the only reason we're here is because there's other people that God wants to reach 
to bring into his kingdom. Otherwise, as soon as we get saved, he'd take us home. Because the only trouble we can get into is here. If everybody that was born again up here immediately was translated out of here, we'd never lose anybody. So the only trouble you can get into, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who knows this, is here. So why would God leave us here? See, God's perspective is I want to get you out of there, but I want the job done. That's why Jesus is coming back for us. Oh, I'm telling you, the preach this up here this morning. It's why I understand why you could... Jesus is coming back for us. Think about that. He's not just left. He's coming back for us. And I, I believe he's sitting at the right hand because he doesn't know when it is. He's waiting. Look at the Father. He's coming back for you. Coming back for me. He's coming back for us because that's much better. That's much better. He who prepared us for this very thing is God. God prepared us for this new season. God created you. Listen carefully. God created you. God formed you. God redeemed you so that He could have you with Him. So that He could have you with Him in His presence. Think of what He paid to have you. So God looks forward to that time. If God's looking forward to it, why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we? God prepared us for this season. And He's given us His Spirit as a guarantee. I want to break that down a little bit. The word guarantee in Greek is the word arabon. And it means a pledge. In some instances, it means an engagement ring. Girl's eyes went up. Now, what's an engagement ring? It's one thing for him to say, I love you. Boy, someday we ought to get married. Show me <laughs> that you love me. Show me your commitment. It's a tangible evidence of a heart commitment. It also means a down payment. Part of my career as a lawyer was, was doing real estate transactions. And the first thing when you've got somebody that's interested in buying is a, as a seller, you want to know how, how serious are they. Because when we sign this contract, I'm taking it off the market, which means I may pass up some other opportunities to sell it for more, and I want to know that I'm not taking it off the market just because you like the house and think someday you may want to buy it. I want some tangible evidence of your commitment. Listen carefully. Of your commitment. So what is a down payment? It's a portion of what's ultimately going to come, and it's the same thing. So when they give you a down payment... Suppose you're paying $300,000 for a house and they want a down payment of $3,000. You don't bring $3,000 worth of corn or $3,000 worth of, you know, a $3,000 car. You bring money because money's what the rest of the purchase price is going to be. So it's also not only a tangible thing, but it's of the same thing. 
God has given us His Spirit. Remember, He's prepared us for this season that mortality, human life, may be swallowed up by real life. And so God has given us as an engagement ring. God has given us as a tangible evidence of His commitment to follow through on the rest of what's promised when He put His own, because the Spirit of God is His Spirit, He put His own Spirit in us. And the presence of His Spirit in us, and the reason we're not more excited about that is we live most of our life not conscious of His presence in us. Because we don't talk to Him, we don't rely upon Him, we don't listen to Him, but we can learn. I'm learning. I'm spending time with the Holy Spirit every morning now, just communing with Him in the morning. Some mornings I get up, like this morning, <laughs> where's the coffee? <laughs> and I'm sitting down, and before I even look at today's notes, I'm going to spend time with you. And as my mind is all over the place, I'm thinking about the plane, I'm thinking about how we packed, I'm thinking of all this stuff, and I've learned to hone down on the inside. None of that's important. What's important is what's on the inside of me. Holy Spirit, you live in me. You are the presence of God in me. You are his wisdom, his direction, his strength, his power, his anointing. You are everything I'm ever going to need. I need to learn to be aware of you and sensitive to you today, to hear your promptings and listen to you. And as I do that, his life begins to well up inside of me. And all of that other stuff just fades away. And this life begins to stir inside of me. Doesn't Paul say stir up the gift that's in you? Stir up the gift that's in you? We need to do that. All right. The Spirit is given to us as a guarantee. Next verse. So we're always confident. Listen to those words. Always confident. No matter whether I'm in jail in Philippi or I'm preaching on Mars Hill always confident, knowing, notice the confidence again, knowing that while we're at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 7. For we, here's the key. Here's how you do it. For we walk by faith and not by sight. This is the ultimate purpose for faith. Faith helps us to receive things from God, but ultimate purpose of faith is to live my life in this body, in this world, with my confidence and hope and eyes on the, war, on the next season and what that means because that changes how I live here. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8. And we're confident and yes, well pleased. This, we're talking about renewing our mind. This is how Paul saw death. Physical death. We're confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Let's go over to Philippians 1. So far? Say, I love. That was weak. I love. This is your chance to walk in love. I love Pastor John. Okay. All right. This is good news. Philippians 1, we're going to pick up in verse 21. Paul's taught, he's in jail here, by the way. He's in a jail that's a terrible place. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. And he's struggling, and I don't believe, I believe this is a real hard struggle. For me to live is Christ, and to die, what he means by that, for me to live is to represent Christ. But to die, personally, is gain. 
Next verse. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. In other words, this goes back to what I told you. The reason God has us here is because there's labor, work to be done for His kingdom. And where we need to learn is to learn to live our life for that purpose above everything else. Instead of living our life to have pleasure, living our life to have a retirement, living our life to have wonderful family, those are not bad things, but the purpose of our life is to live our life for His purpose. That the fruit from my labor, for what I choose, I cannot tell. He's talking about whether to live or die, verse 23. For I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's struggling in his heart, but whether to stay here or to leave. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, look at this, which is far better. He's in a jail. This is renewing your mind to how God sees death. Renewing your mind to how God sees this season. Renewing your mind to what that season is. It's far better, verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, to continue to live, is more needful for you. Is more needful for you. Next verse. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So Paul's wrestling and I believe this was a real wrestle of his heart because I believe he was tired, he'd gone through all these things and he's saying, why do I want to stay here when to, to leave this body to leave this body is to be present with the Lord. To leave this body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know which to do but here's how I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to make it for your benefit because I'd rather leave. And, and notice, it's not, just to get, it's not to get away from things, it's to be present with his Lord. And here's part of the key. This is what's changing my life. It's hard, it's hard to have that desire that Paul had if you don't really know the Lord. I'm not talking about when he's saved. Because they're saying, well, I know the Lord because I gave my life to him. Yeah, but I'm talking about personal relationship. Where you talk with him out of your heart. And, and you hear him talk back to you where you give your heart to him to love him. And the more you want to do that, the more you want to be, be with him. See, when my wife and I fell in love, we, I, we were 800 miles apart, and we didn't have texting, we didn't have all... We had a thing called a pen and a piece of paper. And we would literally write love letters to each other every day. Because we couldn't afford to talk on the phone because they charged you for minutes on a phone. And when you called, this really dates me, you got to call at night because the rate was lower. And you couldn't talk for long. So because we wanted to be together, we would, my heart was longing for her just to be with her. By the way, it still does. It still does. After almost 50 years. I can't go there because I'll get off track here. So, all right. And this is, but, but see, the reason what draws us is, is I want to be with him. And if you don't really know him, there's that, because I'm not familiar with him. 
But the more you know him, the more familiar you are with him and what he's like, the more you want to be with him. And that's where Paul was. All right, we've got to move on. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. And I guess we may not finish this today. Hebrews chapter 2. I know where Hebrews is. I was there this morning. And here's what we deal with. It's the fear of death. We'll pick up in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And this is where most Christians are. The fear of death is the open door to bondage in your life. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose this. If I get sick, I may die. It's like, and I've, it's, this is my thought. I, this is, I've heard somebody say this. Several people say this. It's like people say, boy, I can't wait to get to heaven. Wow. Just can't we? When we all get to heaven, that's why I don't sing. Glorious campus will be. And then you go to the doctor and he tells you you're going there in six months. <laughs> Maybe we don't mean it. It's a nice thing to sing in church, it's another thing to actually go. It's the fear of death. It's what causes us to look at that finish line and go, mm, mm, I wish I could go the other direction. I wish I could run the other direction, but you can't. <laughs> We're all there life to release those. Go back to verse 14. Inasmuch as the children partake of flesh and blood, live in this life, he also took it on. This is part of why he became a man obviously became to die for us, but also so that he might share in the same, so that through death, his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now back to verse 15. And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So the good news I have for you is Jesus has broken the power of death. We're going to look next time. Well, we may get there this morning. Let's, let's quickly go over there. 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about the resurrection. And the point we're going to see here is you can't get into heaven with that body you have. You can't get into heaven with that body you have. Verse 35. Someone will say, because people had said there was no resurrection. That was the, what the Sadducees believed. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. What you sow, you do not sow that that body may be, but mere grain. In other words, he's saying, whatever you sow, like a corn, a kernel of corn, a seed, you don't sow that to get that back again. 
but you can't get those beautiful flowers. You can't get those stalks of corn unless you take the seed and you sow it into the ground because that's what allows the real fruit, the real life to come. So what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but the mere grain, perhaps the wheat or some other grain. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as he pleases to each a seed its own body. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men. There's another kind of flesh of animals, of fish, another kind of birds. Verse 40. There's also celestial bodies, heavenly bodies, and terrestrial, earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial, of the heavenly, is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. He's drawing his contrast between tangible, physical things and spiritual things. Verse 41. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body, physical body, is sown into the ground in corruption. It's corruptible, but it's raised in incorruption. Verse 43. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, and it's raised in power. Keep going. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Verse 45. By the way, the spiritual body, Jesus came to show the prototype off when he was raised from the dead. Remember, walls didn't stop him. He just walked through walls. Why? Because his body was more real than the wall. Nothing could hinder him. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's talking about the life we've talked about. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. Verse 47. The first man was of the earth, that's Adam, and made of dust, his body. The second man is the Lord, and he's from heaven. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. As Adam was, so are our bodies. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Verse 49. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bore the image of the heavenly man, that's the risen Christ. Now I say this to you, brethren, that, look at this, flesh and blood, your physical flesh and your blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't take it with you. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51. But I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's talking about physical death. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 53. For this corruptible, this physical body, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Stop there. Only our physical bodies can enter heaven, and we have to exchange them for an eternal body. And notice, it will be done in a moment, and this is the ultimate victory. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment, and we're going to just go on about the ease of this change, how unpainful it is. I know. Verse 54. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought about to pass the saying which is written, O death, death is swallowed up in victory. Remember, swallowed up. In victory, notice death, which we think as disaster and as the end, he's now saying will be swallowed up in something that's victorious. 
So for a Christian, death is a victory. It's not a failure. Verse 55. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, hell, or some translations say death, where's your victory? We're talking to Christians now. Verse 57. For the verse 56. For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. I've done this before, but this is the we look at death, which is simply leaving this body as horrible and painful. And it's nothing more than this. Taking this outer covering off and shedding it and being free. It's removing the veil that makes it hard to be in the presence of our God. We have to sing songs. We have to get worked up. When that veil's gone, it's face to face. And John says in 1 John, and in that day, we're going to see him. We're going to see him. No faith anymore. Going to see him as he is. And then we're going to realize, whoa, wait a minute. As he is, so are we here on this earth. We're going to recognize him in us and us in him. Death to a Christian is taking this body off and just shedding the limitations of it. Death to a Christian has no sting. We simply exchange the temporary tent for the permanent resurrected body. We'll end with this. Go to Romans chapter 8. Now, am I getting up a busload to go now? No, we have work to do. But we have to have this perspective. We have to have this perspective. Romans 8, Paul, the same Paul. Well, I had in there 38. We're going to throw it in verse 37. In all these things we're more than conquerors. So we talked about death. Through him who loved us. Verse 38. For I am persuaded. Notice he doesn't say, I think. I hope. I've heard some tell. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, whether you're alive in this body or you've left this life and you're with the Lord, that neither, in either case, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul's saying, whether I'm in this body or I leave this body, it doesn't separate me from his love. And we talked about, when we talked about how Jesus prepared his disciples for the transition where he was leaving and then he was going to send the Spirit, he's talked about how his love for them would never change. He would be with them in and through this process. So know this, whether you're alive today or you leave your body today, his love for you never changes. His love for you is present. He loves you. Now, this is the, this is the attitude. This is the paradigm with which we need to see this life. So we stop trying to hold on to it so desperately. It's been built into our mind, into our flesh to want to live. And that's a good thing. God put that in us. But don't live this in fear because the root of all bondage is fear of death. 
I'll close with this example. I remember a number of years ago, there was a young lady that was diagnosed with leukemia, I think it was. And I was, Pastor Ray was meeting with her and trying to give her scriptures to encourage her, healing scriptures, and it was wonderful. And I walked into the conference room where he was to get a book or something. And while I'm walking behind them, the Spirit of God says, ask her if she's ready to die. I said, no, no, I can't. You, <laughs> you understand, Lord. She's here for encouragement, not for that. And I heard strongly, ask her if she's prepared to die. I said, Lord. And he told me this. He says, because unless she's prepared to die, every faith thing she does is going to be out of fear to avoid death. Whoa. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're, my ways are better than your ways. Precious in the sight of the Lord. Precious. Precious. And I'm speaking to this to us and to me. As I went through what I went through last year, one of the things that became very clear to me is I was afraid to die. And so any kind of, not any kind, but certain kinds of sicknesses and symptoms, I immediately had to wrestle with a strong fear. So how did God, how did I overcome that? Because I had to deal with the thing I was the most afraid of. The thing I was the most afraid of is what I got. And I've watched God bring me through it. I know I have a closer relationship with Him now than I've ever had before. To the point or I'm not afraid anymore. I've had two friends, two people I've known, one very good friend, I was a client of mine for a while, and he had the experience of dying, physically dying, and his spirit went to heaven, and Jesus sent him back into his body, and he came alive again. I've known two people that did that. Absolutely no fear of death after that. He said, I can't conjure up a fear of death. Why? Because he's not doing it by faith anymore. He's actually seen it. He's seen it. And when he's seen that as well, I often say to people, once you pass to the other side, I don't care how much they love us, they would never come back. They would never come back. They would never come back. They'd never come back. And we get to join them. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us this morning. This is not a fun subject to look at, but it is when we look at it from your perspective. Help us today to see things from your perspective. Help us today from our hearts to embrace what your word says. Help us today to let go of this life and our trying to hold on to it and to look forward to that life. Father, the saints of old understood that. They wrote the songs and hymns about glory and about crossing over. And we become so faith-minded and so, so this life-minded that we've forgotten about that and therefore we don't have the confidence in that. Strengthen us by your Spirit. Father, we need to do this because we need to get about your, your business with all of our heart so that we can run through that finish line with all of our life and all of our energy and no regrets and put everything we have into the rest of the life we have here. Help us to see that. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may see the hope of your calling for our life 
that's in Christ Jesus. Amen.